and you have found Ballistic Chronicles. I'm your host, Gary Lewis. This is episode 32. We talk rifles and hunting in the context of big game in the West. And so happy you could join us here. If you like Ballistic Chronicles and want to support the show, we're going to make it easy for you. If you like what you hear, you can sign up to support free speech and hunting and firearms content right here in the internet age. This is Ballistic Chronicles. We bring you stories about guns and hunting, about ammunition. We hold conversations. We tell stories here on the podcast. And if you like it, we invite you over to the other side, the premium side. As a premium supporter, you get access to our whole back catalog. As we get it uploaded there, you get members-only big game calling episodes. We go deep into calling for big game like elk, bears, coyotes, blacktail deer, mountain lions. That's coming up still. And we hold annual drawings for prizes too, just $5 a month to start. Just go to garylewisoutdoors.supercast.tech or click through in the show notes. Well, you found Ballistic Chronicles. I'm Gary Lewis, the host. I'm here with Jeff Clemens. Jeff is the owner of muzzleloaders.com. That's muzzle-loaders.com, based in La Grande, Oregon. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. We're drinking the Frontier Roast today, which is my coffee. And, and on the cover of this coffee, there's a picture of me wearing my Van Dyke beard. <laughs> and it is in front of the birthplace of Jesse James. So that's right there. That's Jesse James's cabin he oh, was born in. I'm standing. Well, I, I there. don't I don't know about the beard, but the, the coffee is really good. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'd recommend picking some up if you have the chance. Yes, and then the beard is is for my great-great-uncle. He wore a beard like that, and he was a Frontier Scout and friends of Buffalo Bill Cody. And oh, awesome. So I grow it out like that in November. I love it. Yeah. I love it. No shave November. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> okay, and then my other new copy is the Fishing Central Oregon Reserve Roast, and I'm sending you yeah. home with a bag of that. I'm, ex- I'm excited to try it. I'm sure my wife is probably more excited to try it. It's she's, a she's dark coffee roast. aficionado, yeah. so. Good. Well, you'll uh, have to grind the beans on that one. Perfect. Yep. Yeah. She loves doing that. She grinds too many for me, though. It's yeah. Like, it's like uh, crankcase oil when I have to drink it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, as uh, the owner of a company called muzzleloaders.com, yes sir. I want to know what kind of muzzleloader hunts you are looking forward to doing in the future. So, so the I've I've done some, you know, mule deer hunts stuff like that. The one I haven't done, which is actually kind of surprising living here in Oregon is just going on a muzzleloader elk hunt. Mm-hmm. So, for me, I really want to actually do a muzzleloader elk hunt um this year with all the kids and stuff, I'm probably not going to be able to do it, but I want to do a muzzleloader elk hunt. I actually would love to do a sheep hunt with a muzzleloader yes, as well. Yes. Um, right. Just the high country sheep just intrigues mm-hmm. me so much. So mm-hmm. those two hunts are two that I've always wanted, you know, I are on my list. It's just time, family, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know how it is. Gets in the way. Yep. Yep. <laughs> if I was going to be doing an elk hunt with a muzzleloader, I would definitely opt for the 54 caliber. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's really become my favorite. And yeah. I have a, a rifle that is, I've just come to just love. And apparently those guns were, 
that I have here are built in the Invest Arms factory that you are now associated with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's it's, I think you have the Lyman Great Plains, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's built by Invest Arm out of Italy. Great rifles, really, really good quality. Um, and and like you said, the fifty four cal is so good for elk. Yeah. Um, you know, just more knockdown power, more kinetic energy. Once you once you make contact, you know, once that hits the target, you're going to have way more knockdown power, and that's what you want with elk. You want to put them down. You don't want to chase them for two, three. Miles. Yeah, that's right. Well, Jeff, today what I want to talk about is the blunderbuss. As I think about, you know, being a lifelong gun enthusiast, you know, I carried around a gun and a Bible ever since I was a little boy. <laughs> <laughs> Two good things to carry around. <laughs> um, the blunderbuss. There's bus. actually a country song about that. Yeah, yeah. I think there is. Yeah. <laughs> the blunderbuss, I never gave him a second thought. You know, I see pictures, mostly cartoons of pilgrims and Mm-hmm. carrying these things and then the pirates also had them you know pictures of pirates and they might be called a blunderbuss or it might be you know a slightly different gun called a musketoon mm. but they had a very specific purpose in in the places where they were used and one person referred to them as the original shotgun <laughs> you know and so okay yeah that makes sense the original shotgun and, and it's this flared muzzle mm-hmm. that we look at and we think well that's goofy you right. know why would you have that well there's a real reason for that so one of the stories that i loved when i was a kid was the story of the matchlock gun it would have had a bell-shaped muzzle like this blunderbuss and they used it to defend the home from indians hmm. and so it's it's almost like a cannon a shoulder mounted cannon so you think of it in those terms and um john wayne taylor who's a outdoor writer, outdoor communicator. He mentioned to me the other day in an Instagram post, he said, these these can be linked to the original coach guns that, you know, we carried on the stagecoaches. And so, yeah, <laughs> so the, the blunderbuss is the forerunner of those guns. So now imagine you're in Independence, Missouri. It's 1843 and the Oregon Trail... The migration to Oregon is really kicking off. And so it's not poor families that are moving to Oregon. It's semi-wealthy families and middle-class families. And a lot of them have sold almost everything they own. And they've bought a Conestoga wagon or a Studebaker wagon. Hmm. And they, in a lot of cases, don't even have a gun. So now they're going to buy a gun before they get in the wagon and um, head to Oregon. And and when I say get in the wagon, a lot of those people actually walked from Missouri to Oregon and and they went through places like La Grande and the Dalles and they (laughs) ended up in places like Oregon City, Eugene City, um, Astoria. What tough people. Clatsop Plains. Man, Mm -hmm. crazy. And... And you say tough people. They w- weren't maybe tough when they started, but they, they were, were by the end. tough <laughs> by the end. Yeah. But so you go into a hardware store in Independence, Missouri or St. Louis, and there would have been guns for sale and probably handguns, you know, in a case maybe, and long guns probably... In just in the store where people could pick them up and hold them. And I would venture to say that there would have been a hall rifle, you know, used 
rifles that would have been what we call mountain rifles, you know, maybe a Hawken. Mm -hmm. um, Plains rifle. Mm -hmm, Harper's Ferry. These Kentucky rifles were very popular, maybe the most popular of the guns that were carried in the wagons on the Oregon Trail in the 1840s, 1850s. But there would have been blunderbusses as hmm. well. And so in those days, the blunderbuss was probably the cheapest gun you could buy. But it also had a lot of utility. And it could be used by a man or a woman or a child. Mm -hmm. It's not too heavy. Um, it's easy to load. And that's where you get that bell-shaped muzzle from. It's easy to pour the powder in when you're in a hurry. And then... It distributes the shot charge when you shoot it. Hmm. And so th these were the cheapest guns. They're probably the um, less finely crafted. You know, the the fit and the finish is not going to be what you'd expect on a gun that was made in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Mm -hmm. um, these guns would have been made in, in factories, maybe in Europe. Yeah. When you think about, like, think about the people on the front of the wagon sitting up there you know, instead of carrying a Kentucky, full-length Kentucky rifle, having this shorter version, the blunderbuss, so much easier to swing up if you need to really quickly or protect yourself. Wrapped in a blanket. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very concealable. Yep. Easy to carry. Mm -hmm. So what I've got here is a traditions kit from muzzleloaders.com. Correct. We're, we're, we have an exclusive on this. And when you say exclusive, what you're talking about is you put a flintlock in this kit instead of a percussion lock. Yeah. So Traditions had been selling the percussion to many retailers. Um, and we kind of asked if they would do a flintlock version for us. And for us, the flintlock was just more traditional style and you can correct me if i'm wrong but i believe most of these originally would be a flintlock version of the rifle um and so i you know we decided we wanted to go with a flintlock and um so you kind of have one of the first models that we've got in so far um so it's going to be interesting to see as you build this kit what it ends up looking like yeah, there was a little bit of a lag time between yeah. <laughs> when you said this was coming and when it actually showed yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I can't control the factories. <laughs> so the stock is was really interesting to me because it has a swell where you would put, you know, if you're a strong side right-handed shooter, your left hand would go under this swell at the forend. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this was actually referred to as a perch belly by the gun makers. And you can see it. You can act, you can see it. It's more pronounced on this stock than on most stocks that you would find. And it was in favor in the 1840s and the 1850s to put this kind of a swell in the hand so that it would really fit a man's hand. Hmm. And... So then as I look at the rest of the stock, it's just a robust stock. And what I decided to do is blue the barrel. Mm -hmm. And as I was doing some research, I really wanted to blue the barrel because the last guns that I worked on were um, barrels that I browned. And it's a little bit more of an involved process. And I blued barrels before. and But I wanted it to have some link to the historical finish that a gun like this would have. So what I found by doing some research was that, and I probably should have known this already, but the blued finishes were in common use, especially in Europe. And then in the United States and in the colonies, they eventually 
came to favor a brown finish yeah. more. And you were telling me this earlier, and I, it's fashion. I, I, I had no idea. It's fashion. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. And so the blued finish is was every bit as prevalent in history. It's, it's a simple finish. It's just a rust finish that acts as a rust preventative. And so that's what we're doing on this is a rust, I mean, a blued, blued finish. But I only put one coat okay. of the bluing on there. And then I actually touched it with vinegar in a few places to see if that would give me a patina mm -hmm. that would kind of vary the finish on it. And I can see it starting to happen, Yeah, but we'll see how this thing ages. Well, and I think like you said, the, the gun was kind of a, it was a cheaper gun for people to buy. Yeah. So, you know, you had kind of talked about your plan to kind of make the stock a little bit more aged. And I think it's a great way to go with this. And I also think, like you're saying, a patina on the barrel with vinegar will look amazing. So what I was thinking about doing, and it's kind of hard to actually put this into play because I don't like beating up my guns. <laughs> but I was planning on beating it with a chain. Yeah. And putting some dents in the stock. And then I'll go to my 65 Mustang and scrape some grease off the there you go <laughs> off the block of that motor and then put some grease Almost on like wagon this. wheel grease yeah right? yeah and then then I'll put a walnut finish on it and wax that walnut finish that's what I'm thinking I'm gonna do I think it'll look spectacular but anyway I'm I'm gonna work on this thing and it'll be different than how other people build their right their blunderbusses. But um, that's the beauty that's about kind of kits. The beauty of it, yeah, yeah. yeah. And no. then I plan to hunt birds with this thing. That, that that will be really really cool. How long is this barrel? This this barrel here? Uh, I think it, is it sixteen inches? It's sixteen seventeen inches, and it's got this flared um, muzzle, bell shaped muzzle. I call it, and it's a. Smooth bore, right? Smooth bore, yeah, smooth bore. Now, my understanding is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that some people would actually just jam whatever they could in the barrel to yeah, shoot. Right. So you would jam whatever metal objects you could find. If you were out of shot. If you were out of shot, you could jam whatever you wanted in there. And uh, and that's what kind of the blunderbuss is kind of known mm -hmm. for, kind of a throw everything gun. I can say that I'll use I'll shoot a 54 caliber bullet out of here and I'll shoot number 6 shot out of this. I'm not going to put nails in it, but um the story <laughs> of the matchlock gun that I loved mm -hmm. when I was a kid, that's what they did. They put in nails, nails. and rocks to because the husband wasn't home and and all they had was some gunpowder and what they could find. Yeah. Yeah. Man. And so anyway, I think there was a lot more of these guns in use in the Old West than we would grasp. But because they were cheap guns, I think when they broke, they were probably discarded. Mm -hmm. And that's why not a lot of them have come down to us. Yeah, it's not the heirloom that you're passing along. Yeah. Yeah, but, but this gun, I hope to pass this one on to my grandson and... Or my granddaughter, she's got some guns coming to her too, for sure. <laughs> but they'll say, man, Grandpa sure was hard on this gun. Right? <laughs> Must have had this for years. <laughs> so I'll, I'll probably load it with real black powder and uh, probably the 2F powder. Mm -hmm. And then I'll use 4F for priming. So I'll have yep. my little priming horn and then the, the one to load it down the muzzle. And 
what I'm what I'm thinking is I'll put a patch down the barrel on top of the powder mm-hmm. and then put in my shot charge and then two um, fiber wads on top of that. Yeah. The fiber wads are great for creating a really good gas seal. So. Yeah. And I've used them in my other muzzle loader that I got recently. And then this one here, I wanted you to take a look at. It's a 28 gauge smooth bore muzzle loader that was probably made in the 1960s. I paid $2 for this gun. <laughs> Pretty good deal. Yeah. And it's got a terrible ramrod on it, but I've shot it. The ramrod's worth about 10 cents. Yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but I've shot this gun. It's really interesting. I, the first time I shot it, I killed a silver gray squirrel. So cool. Yeah. So cool. I just love it. these small caliber muzzle loaders like this one. And then we were talking about the Crockett rifle earlier are just such cool guns to mm-hmm. have, especially mm-hmm. if you've got the big bore muzzle loaders. These small ones are fun because you can go squirrel hunting or small yeah. game hunting. Uh, and they're a blast. I love my Crockett rifle. Just yeah. love that gun. And you guys carry that one. Yeah, too. we carry that in finished and kit form. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, they're they're great. They're great guns, and people really love them. Highly recommend. And uh, that's another thing about um, the early settlers on the Oregon Trail. A lot of them had thirty-two caliber and thirty-six caliber <laughs> guns because that's what you needed back on the East Coast, right? Yeah. And even in the Midwest, it worked fine because they would be shooting smaller game. But then when they encountered buffalo, they needed something a lot bigger. And that's yeah. when the 50 caliber came into its own, the you know, yeah. 54, 58, 62. Yeah, those Hawken rifles, 68. the Plains rifle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They would throw big lead, you know, to bring down a buffalo yeah, or an elk. Those hides are, those buffalo hides are thick. Yeah. You need some, you definitely need something to penetrate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think a 28 cal is going to do it. Yeah. I think you need, you need a big knockdown power bullet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this blunderbuss, I'm planning to either hunt fall turkeys with it or a hunt grouse with it. I think, yeah, either would be really cool. I've, I don't know if I've talked to anybody that's hunted a turkey with them, but uh, it'd be interesting to see if any of your listeners have, uh, yeah, you know, they can maybe message you on Instagram or something like that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's just such a fun gun. Um, we've had a lot of demand for them, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Well, I know I am. And, and as you picture these things being used in history, you could picture them being used in a coach in France, mm-hmm. in a, in a um, dark road, you know, where you have to travel from town to town and you stay at a a tavern along the way and you don't see people it was really common to be robbed mm-hmm. and if you had a blunderbuss you could pull that thing out and settle the dispute a lot of times without uh, firing a shot yeah the the term blunderbuss it actually comes from the word donderbuss which is thunder german german okay. for thunder and it it actually meant thunder pipe. So blunderbuss <laughs> um, f- actually comes from the term thunder pipe. That's a, it's a good word for it. Yes, it sure is. <laughs> but on board of a, a ship, a gun like this was really um, desirable because you could control a deck mm. uh, with, with one of these guns. And if you think of it as a shoulder-mounted cannon, and if you're trying to board another ship, you know, six guys from your ship are trying to board this other ship and take it over, pirates or during wartime, 
they would open up the armory and pass the guns out. Everybody knew how to load them and and fire them. And then the sailors would swarm aboard the ship they were trying to take and they'd all be armed with these things. Or conversely, you know, you could keep from being boarded if your crew had had a bunch of these yeah, yeah. thunder pipes. Thund- yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> the thunder pipe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, tell us how uh, people can get one of these from muzzleloaders. So yeah, we've we've got them available on our website. Um, they are, you know, they're a limited run right now. Production is just behind um, where they're making these in the factories that they're making these. But uh, you can get them on www.muzzleloaders.com. Just type in the search. Just type blunderbuss, and there's two different options. We sell it in a percussion model, and also this one in a flintlock model, which Gary will be putting together. Um, so we're excited to see how it turns out. But uh, we really like them, and I I think they're going to be a really cool option for folks. Don't hate me if I beat this gun up with a chain. I, I love it. I, I can't wait to see it. I think it's going to look beautiful. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for hanging out with us today. Thank you for having me, Gary. Hey, guys. If you're looking to make a change, looking for a new career opportunity in the Northwest, Carson, that's CarsonTeam.com, is seeking experienced Class A and Class B tanker drivers to haul lubricants and fuel. And they're hiring at over a dozen branch locations in Oregon, including Portland, Eugene, Tillamook, Toledo, Grants Pass, Hood River, Hermiston, North Bend, Ontario, Sutherland, Prineville, and Medford. And additionally, they're also looking for drivers in the greater Seattle area as well. Now, this is a great company. The people who work for Carson are proud of the company they work for. They offer top-tier industry wages, nights and weekend differential pay, home every night. Speak to their driver recruiter. You can call him at 503-307-3240 or visit their website at carsonteam.com and click on the careers tab on the top and click on the button, explore our jobs. That's carsonteam.com. Hey guys, if you like what we're doing here on Ballistic Chronicles, you can support the show and get in-depth hunting content you won't get anywhere else. Just go to GaryLewisOutdoors.Supercast.Tech or click through in the show notes.